you're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hello, and thanks so much for joining for this very special episode with Dr. Sam E. Greenberg. We are taking you through every single type, tips for you for your sexual intimacy in your marriage. And we are so grateful whether you're not married yet or you are, stick around because we are going through not only tips for every type, but just before that, we are actually going into trends that Sam and the other researchers she's been working with have seen across just personality and what do we notice is showing up for various people. So as always, bring your values in and make sure that you bring in the very best learning, ears, eyes, everything. I wouldn't have kids around for this episode, but I would really bring your full heart to see your spouse or partner because I was thinking through, like we've been talking about sexual intimacy this whole month. We're wrapping up. What do I want to make sure you are doing? What do I hope most for you? It's definitely your decision, but I hope that you truly see your spouse as a gift to you and that you learn what to do to help them to feel safe and to feel held by you emotionally and that you do the very same for yourself so that you can set whatever boundaries you need and also that you can lean in with them and the way that they see the world. So this is going to be a pivotal episode for you to learn these trends. And I encourage you to listen across every type because sometimes, at least in our conversations here, uh, most of the time, but especially this time, I notice different pieces of myself in various parts of our conversation. So don't feel like you can only listen for your type. In fact, I would say the exact opposite. Listen to every tip and make sure you walk away from this episode with at least one tip. If you need more info, you know I have all of Sam's info in the show notes. And you also know that we have our collective open if you saw our um, our podcast and our questionnaires we're sending out, we're, we're really adding to our deeper dives there as well. If you just need time with a group and you need time directly with me, that's what we do our deeper dive membership for. So we are trying to hold you with info research. Sam is also a coach and she does specific sexual intimacy coaching. And then we often, uh, like I said, have group meetings and ways for you to show up and shine in your relationship. And this is one more time when we're opening those doors. So be on the lookout for that from our blog and then be on the lookout for everything over at Sam's page and her Enneagasm uh, Instagram account. And that way you can be truly all shored up and really able to uh, just walk forward in your way. And by the way, lastly, before we bring Sam on, I just want to say, I understand that intimacy looks different for every couple. So if you've been listening or watching, uh, you know that I'm emphasizing that this month, that it would be so unhelpful if you're like, oh, I heard her say that all fours are like this or all twos or sevens or whatever your types are. Uh, instead, just listen for your type so that you can truly be like, oh, we're, you know, us like in our marriage, our unique story, our narrative is more important than everybody else's types. So just listen for yours and uh, nuance yours and also understand different seasons of life, bring different pieces, but you still want to bring your best foot forward in whatever season, right? Your goal is for you to be as healthy as possible in emotion. And also, of course, physically, uh, spiritually, uh, you want to do this in your body otherwise. So everything we want to come together for you, we have the highest hopes, but we also are very practical. And that's actually what makes the best relationships too, is those who are idealists, but can also name here our practical issues. So let's come together for this episode. We'll have some fun at the beginning, and then we are going to truly dig in. So can't wait to do this with you. Samantha, I'm so happy to have you back on the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I know our listeners are delighted to have you back. Welcome. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, we are so grateful. This is a show that we know has been a, a year in the making because last summer you were on the pod on July 18th, 2022. If people want to go back and check out the episode you did on instincts in relationships, you blew our minds. And thank you so much for coming back. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yes. Oh my gosh. What have you been up to lately? I know you were at the Enneagram conference recently. Tell us about, just give us some updates. Okay, sure. Well, um, I've been working on completing my research um, pretty much the whole last year since we talked last. And I've since completed my dissertation. So you you can call me Dr. Sam now if you want. <laughs> yes, and Sam, not Samantha. So that's yeah. perfect. Dr. Sam, we love Dr. that. Dr. Sam, um, that's new. So I'm excited about that. And then yeah, I did just come from the International Enneagram Association Conference in San Francisco, and I actually just got home last night. And there, I was presenting the findings of my study um, with, you know, with a certain spin, um, focused mostly on actually type and instinct. So we talked about type last time, and I think we'll, I mean, we talked about instinct last time, I think we'll talk more about type this time. Mm -hmm. And then I was also on a panel presentation, um, we call Enneagram After Dark, because it's at I night. I love that name. I literally yeah. love that one. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I love it too. Um, and that's with me and some other experts in the field, mostly clinicians, you know, therapists, sex therapists who use the Enneagram. And then we we're just answering people's sex questions. And it was so fun. And I just had the best time. Oh, well, you know, you're the sexual subtype. So that was like probably a dream for you because you said on our last show, you never get tired of this topic. And it's like such a joy when you get to isolate into that topic and really yes. go in, right? Yeah. We are already having a more double entendres for today. So go all the way in. <laughs> exactly. So we are just going to have fun picking right up where we left off. Um, we are looking forward to, like you said, type by type a little bit more today. But also I was on your Instagram page, Enneagasm, which we have in the show notes for you guys. But stay with us here for now, because I loved how you talked about certain types who are more sexually assertive, other types who are not necessarily repressed, but a little more sexually shy. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about this research that you've been finding. Okay. So that's going to depend on a lot of things, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but with the assertive types, well, it doesn't track as closely as you would think to, to assertive and with Tron. Um, no. I'd say sevens and eights of the assertive triad, we usually say is three, sevens, eights. Yeah. Sevens and eights are quite sexually assertive. And sexual assertiveness, not to be confused with regular assertiveness, it is a construct that I measured in my research. And what that means is how um, much are you able to actualize your desires from being internal to you to external in the world? Mm -hmm. So this would be questions like, you know, I feel comfortable telling my partner what I want. Mm -hmm. I feel comfortable um, telling my partner my fantasies. I feel comfortable expressing my desires. So this is its own construct. Mm. So does it track to, you know, the Enneagram assertive types? Actually, it doesn't all the way. Um, because, oh, sorry. Because the um, the most assertive Enneagram types, as I said, three, seven, and eight, the most sexually assertive Enneagram types are four, seven, and eight. Mm. And four is actually a withdrawn type. You know, generally speaking, they're withdrawn type. So we it's not as neat of a you know a mapping of constructs as we might hope mm -hmm. but sevens and eights are very sexually assertive especially eights they're just the top 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 of the chart there mm -hmm. for sexual assertiveness and then we have fours quite sexually assertive as well mm -hmm. and 
Then when we get to who's not sexually assertive, i.e. you could say sexually withdrawn, Mm -hmm. we do find nines there at the bottom Mm -hmm. and they're withdrawn type, but we Mm -hmm. also see sixes at the bottom and they're compliant type. So it's all kind of mixed up together. I don't know if I'm answering your question yet. Uh, you are. And actually, I have a couple I'm working with with those um, pairings right now. And I'm not going to say which ones just in case they're listening. But um, I I mean, I'm hearing it, seeing it. And even in the small nuances where they'll be like, well, I think I'm um, a little less passive than this one. And and so I like hearing even some of the threads that I get to see in the coaching realm with uh, couples. One, sometimes there's just like you said, somebody who wants more sex or less. And it's not always going to follow this through line. Um, plus we know there's, I love how you started that to say there's multi-dimensions and seasons of life, um, where this can ebb and flow for everybody, but this is still helpful because so many people are just getting to know the Enneagram or maybe this area. Like you said, we're finally being given permission to talk before we got on about sex. And I'm so glad we're able to finally bring this into marriage conversations. Aren't you? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Kind of important. Um, so that's so cool. Well, before we get Enneagram specific even more with the type by types. Um, I also wanted to ask you, and you started to answer this already, but when you see these stances, when you see these assertive aggressive type and you see these withdrawing types and also the ones twos and sixes who are compliant, do you see any major trends in the stances at all from what you've noticed? Um, I wish I could say yes for you, but this is actually one of the things that was not borne out in the research. Mm. Stances, Mm-hmm. were not mapped to discernible patterns of response on sexual desire instruments. So, you know, in terms of, you know, four, five, and nine, they didn't respond the same way as each other. Yeah. Three, seven, eight didn't respond the same way as each other. So we have threes, generally they're assertive. In life, they're not sexually assertive. You know, so that didn't really track and neither did um, thinking, feeling, instinct, which I thought for sure would track really clearly. But because... um my theory is because we have eights in the body triad and eights are so high scoring on most of the desire measures that I use that kind of muddles up the data a little bit. And then we have four surprisingly high scoring on all the desire things, muddling up the feeling types a little bit. So they're just not hanging together statistically, the stances enough yeah. for me to be able to say like with quantitative data, anything about them. Yeah. That's not to say that we can't say anything about them. We can definitely speculate, you know, qualitative data, we can say some things, but in terms of the stances, there's less than you'd think. Mm. However, there's almost like new triads that are coming out of the research. Oh my so, um, not, not exactly perfectly yeah. neat ones, yeah. but in terms of four, seven, and eight, mm-hmm. they are hanging together in the data a lot. Four, mm-hmm. seven, and eight, I can't think of any triad or stance that those three are together. Yeah. And um, at the conference, someone made up this term, like they're the sexual triad, because I kept saying, <laughs> like, they score really high, they're reporting really high desire. So they're the new triad, I guess, That's is four, so seven, cool. and eight. Oh my gosh. Well, it's it's so interesting because all my four clients, I and I'm saying almost all, but most, they really do say, I have a strong reactivity. I want my sexual experience to be so meaningful, so deep, not necessarily as often as some of the other types, but the, like you said, the intensity and the desire is very important to a four. And they, most of the fours that I work with say, and if I don't have that, I don't want to have sex. So it almost like leads me toward what you said on our last episode about a sexual subtype and fours must align so closely with that just as a personality type. 
I think you could say that. Um, and I've heard that before, not even speaking about sex, mm. that fours has more intense folks mm. track like a sexual instinct a little bit more, even if that's not their instinct. Mm-hmm. But with fours, they are reporting extremely high desire for partnered sex. And I think that's because mm-hmm. like they have this desire to feel the meaning, like you're saying, mm-hmm. to feel this meaningful emotional connection or a relational connection or just feelings generally. Mm-hmm. And sex is a way they can get that. So even though four, sevens, and eights are all pretty similar in how they're reporting desire, I think it's for all three different reasons. Mm-hmm. Sevens being more of like, you know, give me more of what feels good. Like, of course I want to have more sex. Like sex is great. And then eights with the sort of the general lust for life, they have a lot of life force energy, a lot of sexual energy usually running through their bodies. So I think for them, it's about actualizing that. Mm. So even though just like any triad, (laughs) all three of the types are motivated differently. Yes. And I really want to um, name it for sevens. I can't speak for all sevens within this, but just we aren't really great at feeling a lot of the time. And so I think that that's an opportunity for us to be a bit more genuine with feeling. So it really kind of brings us to that level. So I can see why a lot of sevens are probably also for that reason, like, oh, this brings me closer to what I really need. Um, But I love how you said our fours have strong desire and are showing up this way. And of course, like you said, eights are making this happen with the data. And I almost going to say, oh, is this the reactivity triad over in our harmony groups? But I'm seeing that even in this harmonic style, six wasn't as high. So I know four, six, and eight are the reactive ones. And and yet we have this seven showing up as sort of a red herring. But yet, as you explained it, we totally get why. So we have these three types that are wanting more, um, more intense sexual experiences. What about when they're partnered with people who don't have that same vision? What kinds of problems are you seeing for them? Or are you finding that those spouses rise up to it? Or does it kind of hit a stalemate sometimes? That's a great question. Um, I want to say one thing about sixes since you just mentioned sixes. Sixes are not even close to being the same as these other three. So sixes are at almost the dead bottom of everything that I measured. They're really close to the least sexually assertive they're really close to the least sexual desire so it's not like oh it was almost four six and eight but it wasn't it's like sixes are nowhere like so it's i really feel like it's its own you know its own data point I do too. And what's so funny is I don't know if that's the same for the sexual six or not, because I have a sexual six who is like today, like I want to get on your schedule today. We're not having enough sex. Now it was a male, um, but I'm like, okay. um, I think that there's going to be, I love how you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but always you're going to see differences and fluctuations even between the types. So anyone listening, don't start to shift away from who you are, even if she's saying the data doesn't show up for your type, right? Of course, these are just trends um and if we get into subtype we would definitely be here all day but of <laughs> course sexual sixes it's higher a little bit it's still generally trends low for sixes compared to some of the other types mm-hmm. and of course there's always anomalies there's all you know mm-hmm. you are who you are um but i want to answer your other question which was partners of four sevens and eights so that's something that i've I have information more from my coaching practice. I didn't yeah. do um, research on partners. Yeah. But you see all different types of reactions, and it really depends a lot on subtype and stacking. Mm. So, for sexual subtypes of different numbers who are partnered with four, sevens, and eights, they have a little bit of an easier time because sexual dominants generally have, you know, are reporting higher sexual desire. Mm. Not to be confused that they have a higher sex drive necessarily. 
than the other and stays with their reporting they desire partnered sex more. So they have an easier time with it. And then like the who would have the hardest time would be the folks with probably self-preservation dominant um, and maybe even sexual repressed and they're stacking and they generally don't report a high desire for partnered sex because they have sort of other concerns around taking care of their home, their physical needs, et cetera. So being partnered with a really high desire type can be tricky for them. So it just depends on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. There's also types that um, can comfortably go longer without having sex than Mm -hmm. the others. Mm -hmm. And an an example of that is six is um, report that they can go the longest time Mm -hmm. comfortably without sex than any other type. Mm -hmm. So that might make you think that sixes would have a really hard time with a high desire partner. Mm-hmm. But I don't find that that's necessarily true. It's more that sixes, because of their fear of loss of the relationship, their fear of rejection, they're more comfortable with most things mm-hmm. than another type. So if they have a higher desire partner, they'll roll with it. If mm-hmm. they have a lower desire partner, they'll roll with that. So actually sixes end up being quite accommodating to the higher desire um, folks in my experience. That makes so much sense. And I know there's so many sixes nodding with us right now, like, oh, I get it why I'm adaptable here. And yet if um, the six is maybe paired with a nine or somebody who wants sex even less than them, then, or needs it, feels like they need it less. Um, and of course we know that's also not every nine, especially maybe not the sexual nine, um, but they could still then say, oh, I might be the higher desire spouse. Maybe I could still lean toward you, but either way, um, that might be why I see it sometimes showing up a little bit more is when they have a lower desired partner. But even then I do see such a love and a grace and a wanting to accommodate. So I love how you reminded us of that with sixes. Tell us um, if it's okay, if we could walk through a little bit of the research you found about all the types, since we really looked at stances a bit and see, we're not going to have as much data on them as stances. Do you feel like you could walk through us uh, with us through every single type just a little bit to give us a couple tips? Sure. Um, yeah, definitely. So just I'll try to paint like a overview picture for okay. each um, first. So I guess we'll just start with ones. Okay, perfect. Um, so ones are, are reporting pretty low, um, pretty low desire mm-hmm. for partnered sex. Um, and they're quite comfortable along with sixes going longer without sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they're actually even report pretty low sensitivity to desire cues, meaning these different things that make me feel desire, like being romantic with my partner, seeing them dressed up, you know, sexy, those things. Ones are just not reporting that they're very responsive to the, to these things. Interestingly, they are, you know, medium for sexual assertiveness. So they do feel like, okay, expressing their sexual desires. Um, I think this is pretty consistent with what we could predict. You know, we have, sometimes we have ones with like the sort of the moral absolutist Mm -hmm. outlook, depending on how they were raised. We can have like some emotional psychological barriers around free sexuality that can sort of stop ones from reporting high desire. And then they're also concerned with right and wrong. They're concerned with perfection. They're concerned with whatever, you know, fighting for her justice. (laughs) And that's, those rank a little higher for them. Yeah. Oh, yes. I know so many with spouses of ones are like, yes. Okay. So I'm not alone if my one partner doesn't want a lot of intimacy. And I remember talking to you about and saying, is there a male-female differences? 
in these. And what did you tell me again? You said you saw some differences or you're not testing for that as much as Enneagram. There are going to probably be differences, but in this study, I controlled for gender, meaning that these patterns would hold true regardless of gender. Okay. Thank you for helping us to see that. And instincts, if they're more of a sexual instinct, if your spouse is more of a sexual one um, or may fall out of line sometimes with that norm, you might see some differences. Is that right? As you go through all the types? Okay. Yes. And there's some that that's way more pronounced. Like when we get to nine and five, um, Mm. maybe remind me again. (laughs) Um, In general, ones are pretty close. Like they, all three subtypes of one are reporting the same way, but Mm. yeah, for sexual ones, it's a little bit Um, you know, more desire. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense that we can really look at ones across the board in general. But um, if you find a sexual one, you might or might not have an increase. And I'm glad you said maybe not that sexual ones were similar because I feel like um, a lot of the people, and of course, like we said, we're going back to qualitative now because it's, I'm, I'm referring to coaching, but sometimes the sexual one is still very concerned with the spouse performing and doing things right to their eyes. So they're like, I don't want to have sex if you're not going to do what I want. So it can be part of that subtype, even as a sexual one, that we're not going to get to the bedroom. We do see, to your point, um, ones tend to have an idea of the right sex, mm-hmm. either for themselves and their partner or for all of society. Yeah, And this varies a lot between people so you know it's not true that ones are all like prudish and weird about sex to have an idea of the best way yeah they do have an idea whatever it is it's it's the right way to them and so if you're with a one and having been with the one for this many years i can tell you you do have to use your voice and you have to share what you really feel because i'm all about connecting on this podcast and really loving and kindness together and just don't lose your voice. I think Wes and I would both share that if he has shared on the podcast before many times. And it's like, you know, sometimes after decades, a one can finally come around to it like, oh, I was trying to change you and you were already, why I chose you was because I liked you at the beginning. Um, And so just saving someone some work perhaps of trying to change your partner and letting them be who they are um, because they might not have the same view of right for sex as you. Um, So that's my little tip since that's my spouse. Um, yeah, I'm sure you know way more about me than me about ones, but my yeah. tips for ones, um, and I work more with like tips for the type themselves versus yeah. the partner, yeah. but it would be, you know, embracing spontaneity and, mm-hmm. and loss of control or being out of control mm-hmm. and in multiple aspects of your life. And that way um, you can desensitize <laughs> yourself to that in your sex life. And it's going to, you know, f- start to feel less rigid. You can do meditation or therapeutic practices around like not being in total control. Um, and you can even like play with a pre-agreed upon consented yeah. um, control things with your spouse, like let them set the tone, let them choose the whatever yes. and just roll with it. Yes. That's so key. Oh my gosh. Highlighting that 500% with you. Um, and also I don't think ones do that intentionally. Like when I have shared that with my one, uh, you know, and it takes me a lot to share that as a seven where I always want to just make everyone happy. I'm like, oh, I, I noticed that you don't like this. And he's like, oh, I do. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's okay. But like I do. And so I notice you need a lot of control in these areas. So I think that once I finally voiced that he was able to be like, oh, Oh, um, so that's what I want ones to pay attention to is most of the time your spouses don't feel comfortable telling you any critiques because we always say don't critique your one. But what we really want to foster today on this very special pod is um, kindness while you share the truth so that you can both be on the same page. Um, so tell us about twos. What are some tips or what are some norms you're seeing with twos? 
Okay, so in the data, um, they're kind of in the middle for most things. What they're very high on is sensitivity to emotional bonding, desire mm-hmm. cues. Mm-hmm. So that's things like your partner goes out of their way for you. Your partner does special or loving things for you. Your partner, you know, prioritizes you, asks you about your day, etc. Um, two is not only are saying that they love that, but that they are actually, you know, sexually responsive to that. And that's very high. And it's for all three subtypes. Really? Oh my gosh, how fascinating. So they just want to be prized and like seen as special and just doted on. Yeah, basically. And um, they also score higher than any other type in terms of valuing their partner's pleasure. So, Mm. you know, in answer to the question, my partner's pleasure is more important than my own. They say a resounding yes to that. And Mm. they do experience pleasure from giving pleasure truly. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Um, And I know that there's cautionary tales with that too, but tell us what are the tips that you would give for twos or people with twos? Yes. The cautionary tale comes (laughs) into play here. So for twos, it's about coming to really understand that your pleasure as a two is a blessing Mm -hmm. and it's a blessing to your partner Mm -hmm. and that you're giving to your partner with your own experience of pleasure. Oh, that's twos, Yeah, they have a hard time with this one. So yeah. um, there was a two in the audience of uh, the panel when I was talking about this. She looked horrified. <laughs> but you can take baby steps, you know. Yeah, um, thank you. So baby steps towards communicating your, your mm-hmm. desires. And that's going to take some tuning in to figure out what they are. Mm-hmm. My favorite tip for twos is this idea of Um, you're not allowed to touch your partner, you know, for one whole day or whatever. They can only touch you and only give you pleasure. And you're providing in the moment, you know, feedback about how it feels. Mm. Wow. Thank you for reminding them that that magnetism of being in the withdrawing stance for a moment is such a beautiful like play way they can play together versus always uh, seducing. Um, And that's going to be their typical stance. So thank you for reminding them that there's something so highly attractive to a little bit of uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, playing a little bit um, toward your partner, leaning in towards you and allowing yourself to receive. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to be so intoxicating. So take a deep breath. And like she said, baby step. What about type threes? What's something that threes can do uh, or that you're noticing about them first so threes also scoring in the middle for a lot of things including sexual assertiveness like i mentioned we think of threes as assertive but they actually they're quite sexually shy Mm -hmm. or at least reticent in terms of how will it look will i be rejected Mm. so Threes do report um, quite high sensitivity to visual proximity cues, which is things like I'm being near someone mm-hmm. or my partner is, you know, well-dressed, they're classy, they're doing their thing, they're impressive. You know, that's, as you can predict, sexy to threes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in terms of tips, um, it's actually more similar to twos than you would think. In terms of like, they are quite other oriented, but for way different reasons. Mm -hmm. So we get with threes, this whole attempt to impress all the time, Mm -hmm. whereas twos, that's to give all the time. But threes can seem to be a little bit like an empty shell of Mm -hmm. themselves, their own sexuality, because they're so oriented to pleasing and impressing. 
So for threes, um, just remembering, you know, who you are when you're not on stage, you know, who are you as a sexual being when no one is looking at you? So for threes, you know, maybe even a self-pleasure practice to Mm -hmm. figure out there's literally no audience right now, you know, what do you like and who are you on the inside, you know, as a sexual Mm -hmm. being and then bringing that to your partner. Oh my gosh, you are going to get so much respect from your partner and attraction. Once again, like you said, these trends that are similar to two, when you're really honest and forthright about not just playing it up for them about who you are, but showing who you really are because you're dazzling. So yes, show us that. Thank you. That is huge. I am just like shouting it from the rooftops with you for our romantic, secretly romantic threes. Um, Yeah, their partners are craving their vulnerability. Yes. And their truth, their real truth. Hmm. Okay, tell us about fours and what we can expect from our fours and what are you noticing? You told us a little bit about that earlier. Yeah, so fours, you know, sexual triad. Um, (laughs) So they score very high um, across just about every measure that I used in this study, meaning high desire for partnered sex, high responsiveness to all these different types of desire cues. Um, Interestingly, less so when it comes to the romantic cues, like watching the sunset, romantic dinner, you know, fours are called the romantic. So I thought that they would like those things, but they say they don't. Um, And I have some theories about why that is, but the very high sexual assertiveness, which again, you might not think from the withdrawing stance, but they, they're very comfortable expressing their desires. Mm -hmm. So um, what's not shown in that stuff is that the idealistic temperament that you mentioned of, I want to have these like peak experiences actually all the time. And that's why I have such high desire. So for them, um, I think that's more about finding meaning in the mundane. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Which is very difficult for fours and fours struggle a lot with lower desire partners. And they struggle a lot with um, self-preservation dominant partners depending on their stacking who are more comfortable with sexual routine like fours are quite oh yeah they're turned off by that yeah turned off is the right phrase oh oh, turned off yeah so um there's a place though in our lives for that there and especially if your partner needs that so for fours it's like it sounds so silly but i mean it like write a poem about like doing the dishes just get into the beauty of the everyday life stuff and just be aware of your intense emotional craving because you have this like I'll never say no to emotional intimacy Mm -hmm. and and the that hit it gives me Mm -hmm. but if try just skipping an opportunity for that like let one pass by and see what feel difficult feelings come up for you Ooh really good and when you say let one skip by do you mean like one routine sexual experience get by or one desire skip by one intense connection skip by so whether that's with your partner or you know fours have a lot of fantasy and they end up fantasizing about other people and stuff if you have an opportunity to have like some kind of like roller coaster like juicy experience like just skip it and see what comes up. And it's going to be probably some like fear and panic feelings of if I don't have this, who am I? I won't matter. And you can, you know, really face those. Mm, so doing your emotional work and seeing what's under these contemplative um, imaginings will help you to maybe find what's at the root. And I'm thinking this through with you, maybe even find your way back to your partner in some way, like the vulnerability piece that you're missing um, because you're imagining so much. So I really hear that with you that, um, and I think it goes together in the way that we said 
fours really want it to be special, I think you're nailing it <laughs> um, for just the way that they want it to be special is like they want you to truly bond and they don't want it to just be like, oh, it's Wednesday. We should be having sex. There should not be a should with sex. Right. I love that. I, I love that. And I also hear and why I do the work that you called them to do is because I understand about um, reaching in for each other. And like you said, when we have a high desire partner and we might be like in that four space of it's not the right mood that sometimes it is okay to say, like, let's find, let's find each other on the everyday relaxing sex and responsive sex versus just like only the passionate, but I hope that their partners will lean in to find the passion too. Yeah. Hmm, what about our fives, your type? <laughs> so fives oh i remember i said you have to remind me about yes, something thank you for here. reminding us <laughs> so fives generally um score you know in the middle for some things but quite quite low on desire for partnered sex and absolutely the lowest on actually on desire for partnered sex and on responsiveness mm -hmm. to every single kind of desire cue like fives are not into cues subtle or otherwise <laughs> of any kind wow. so i mean yeah it's interesting and it's also sort of predictable you know mm -hmm. subtlety is not the specialty of fives they want not even want but they only can um understand directness mm. and this idea of like oh my partner wants to have sex because they're touching my arm <laughs> or like they asked me to go to dinner fives just will miss it <laughs> So that's um the data. Yeah. And what I found sort of the big issues with fives are um a location in the head, like mm -hmm. almost like they're looking down at themselves having sex from the brain. Mm -hmm. And they can really enjoy it that way, but there's not a lot of embodiment. So for fives, um, it's about in terms of a tip, it would be about noticing where your presence is mm. when you're being sexually intimate is it in your head and and we feel present when we're in our head yeah. but is are you here or are you actually in your body mm. and you just have to remember like embodied sex is um, embodiment is your goal and sex is a great way to get there so just repeatedly breathing yourself down into the mm. body Thank as a meditative that. practice all the time and then all especially with sex and you can get your partner to help because they will notice probably easier than you if you're up here or not and they can kind of bring you back so just say make that presence your goal mm, this is life giving for tips for partners of fives as well because i know that some of them aren't naturally intuitive for just saying like let's just take some deep breaths and let's do some context switching and you know really getting them into that space and it's a partnered experience like you said a lot of times fives are not going to just go there naturally, but you are talking also directly to fives now. So thank you. And then you said there's going to be a difference when we see the sexual five too. Yes. So <laughs> this is one of the types where the sexual is way different. Um, the sexual fives basically don't agree with this. They do have a higher desire or more higher desire um, and they can pick up on cues a little better. And then they just, their, their proclivities tend to be different. So they're, there's a bigger gap another two than there are with some of these other types okay so their proclivities are different their desire levels are different it's almost like us we want to almost put the sexual five in that sexual triad it sounds like 
Um, some would say that it's in for some of the measures you could probably, and for some not, but the story I always tell, cause I think it's so funny is that my hypotheses about fives were wrong. Um, for most of the other types, they were either, you know, correct completely or close, close enough that you would understand why yeah. they, they were a little bit off, but for fives that were totally wrong. And it's because I'm a sexual five and I was basing it on my experience and my experience is really different than all fives. Wow. Cause yes, yeah, some fives are just not interested in sex at all. And so, uh, you're like, there's this huge span between the sexual five and then the one who really isn't interested. And I have had, especially like a five, nine pairing at times say, we're not even interested at all. And so I think that you're really aligning us with fives. General work brings them closer to their sexuality anyway, cause we're trying to embody them anyway. Um, so wow. And I love that you shared, like, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing the sexual five is different too. Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. What about our sixes? Okay. So I said a little bit about sixes before they're, they're reporting really low um, desire. They're reporting pretty low responsiveness to desire cues, except for emotional bonding cues, which is the same one that I mentioned about twos. Mm-hmm. Now sixes are not at the top like twos, but compared to their overall pattern, which is low, they're, they're very high for them. Mm-hmm. on emotional bonding cues. And this is because emotional bonding cues also includes things like you're talking about the security of your relationship. You're talking about the future of your relationship. You know, you're feeling protected by your partner. Mm-hmm. All of these things that would speak to the sixes need for security. Again, they're not just, they don't just enjoy that. They're sexually responsive to it. Mm-hmm. So overall, um, you know, like I said, they're the bottom along with nines for sexual assertiveness. So they're pretty low overall, but they do really love this, you know, this focus on the security of the relationship. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I see that so much with my six clients and they're like, some of them are like, I don't care if I have an orgasm. I just want to be close. Um, and I, I really love their hearts, but I also love that we're reminding sixes inadvertently here. Like you're allowed to have pleasure too. And, um, you know, I love how you work with people so that they can find healthy sexuality. Um, so thank you for doing that too on the side. Um, now let's talk about type sevens. Oh, can I do a tip for sixes? Oh, please. Sorry. Yes. Um, so in terms of risking rejection, that's the big fear for sixes. That's why Mm. they're comfortable going longer without sex, because even if it's years without sex and they really want to have sex, the fear of being rejected by initiating is bigger than the discomfort of not having it. So the tip for sixes has to do with gradually leaning into that fear so mm-hmm. for sixes, the main thing I say to them is to initiate sex mm-hmm. when you're in the mood, not when you think your partner is likely to be in the mood. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that's not a baby step. That's a big step, but you can do it. And yes. if on the off chance, your part, I think your partner will be so taken aback by you doing that, that they'll probably be into it. But yep. on the off chance, you catch them at a bad moment, you're basically facing your worst fear of you yep. know, quote unquote being rejected. That's going to be a huge opportunity for growth for you. Oh my gosh. That's really scary for sixes. Thank you for reminding them that they can do it. Okay. okay sevens. Yeah, let's talk about sevens. You showed okay. us a little bit. So we don't have to talk along about this one. Back to the sexual triad. <laughs> um, so yeah, super high desire, su- you know, quite interested in all these different types of cues. Um, they are very high on sexual assertiveness. Mm. Um after eights, as I mentioned, 
And interestingly, they're pretty, in fact, the lowest on pleasing a partner, which I know it sounds bad, but that doesn't mean like they don't want to please their partner, but it means they are oriented to their own pleasure. So they're like, yeah, my partner's pleasure, that's important, but not more important than than mine, you know, which is kind of a key aspect here of sevens. Fascinating. Um, definitely can see that about our earliest days of life. And once again, like that, I'm like, thank you for calling up my old seven. (laughs) So I'm just throwing my cards on the table there, but I can relate to that part of the seven. So tell us what sevens can do when they're in that mode of like, I just want my pleasure. I want to be satisfied. It's um, a lot about embracing the complex emotions that comes with sexual intimacy. Oh boy. So yes. It's hard for us. I'm sweaty. A big issue for sevens also is that they just jump out of bed at the end along with their life. Yes. Partners of sevens will complain, you know, what about the afterglow? <laughs> like, why are you just leaving me here in bed? So what I talk about for sevens is embracing the afterwards. Yeah. Because mm. there is kind of metaphorically like a fall or a winter that mm. of, you know, of the sexual mm. experience that would be after. Yeah. That brings so much mm. intimacy and so much emotion. For sevens, you can get a lot of grief coming up, suppressed grief. You can. And, you know, people won't believe this, but like sevens oh, crying so after sex yeah. is a oh, big so. experience. That's yeah. part of it. And it's really important. Mm. And you can have all kinds of emotional transformation and stuck emotion moving in the seven from them being present with, with that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I seriously hear that. And I also have noticed that comes in the uh, winter season of a woman's female cycle as well, where if you're a female seven, you have that advantage of you're really in your emotions and there's a huge advantage to finally doing the work there. Um, because as Evie, who was a menstrual, you had Evie on. Yeah. yeah, I recognize (laughs) the winter of the cycle. This is good. She's like, stay there because you're always popping back up sevens. So thank you. Those are great tips for all of us sevens. What about eights? Okay, so I also mentioned eights already. Eights, as you could probably guess, are the highest everything. Like, you know, highest desire, highest responsiveness, least able to tolerate time without sex, um, highest sexually assertiveness. So this is obviously consistent with Enneagram theory around the idea of lust or the idea of like them having such so much energy in their body. Yeah. And the complaint that comes from partners with eight is like it's too much it's too fast it's too intense Mm, yeah so for tips for eights it's about remembering the sexual experience is about the whole you know the, the entity that you create as a couple is not just about you adding energy and the effects that you create Mm, yeah you also get eights avoiding vulnerability by controlling the experience like even by giving their partner pleasure they feel like in control and then they're avoiding vulnerability Mm. so staying with the vulnerability and especially kind of similar to sevens but especially tuning into the quiet moments the subtle moments Mm. of a sexual encounter the gentle moments Mm. gentle touches that you might otherwise ignore and sort of like the tenderness within you that can come up from those things Mm. beautiful i love how you're saying it isn't just you know, um, one or the other, like you pleasuring or being pleasured. It's, it's this dance of intimacy into me. See, oh, that's a gift for our eights. And like she said earlier, baby steps. It's awesome. Okay. What about our nines? So many nines out there. Okay. So nines, um, are kind of in the middle for a lot of stuff. Um, but the 
very low ranking on sexual assertiveness, you know, lowest by far. They do have a lot of trouble actualizing. First of all, they have trouble knowing their desires. And then they have trouble actualizing them and communicating them. Mm. And the interesting thing is if you talk to a nine and you say, how are you with communicating your sexual desires? They usually will say, oh, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Or like, you know, fine, not too bad. Yeah. But the partners of nines are very frustrated because mm. they. Um, I've heard like one of my clients say it's like navigating through a fog and they're like reaching out trying to find where the trees are and they're never in the same place twice and they just can't like they just can't figure out what is my partner like what do they want it's even if I know one day I don't know the next day this is also how nines experience themselves so it's not that nines are like two sometimes holding back like I know exactly what I want but I'm not gonna tell you because I'm you know manipulating by being giving um nines are quite lost in their own fog sometimes Mm -hmm. So it can be, you know, a bit of a a cloud for everyone. So the tip would be, you know, it's very difficult for them to know their own desires. So in order to figure those out, and it's going to sound a little bit out there, I say to get in nature by yourself. Don't even bring your dog because like nines will like merge with the animal. You you really have to be alone. And nature tends to be really life-giving for nines. Mm. And then tune into your body and its Mm. sensations and let, you know, let those communicate to you. Mm. And the more space you get like that, the easier it'll be to know and then to communicate your desires. And then also be aware of like you're merging into your partner's ego rather than you guys are merging together. So most types have trouble with merging and we want to teach them to dissolve yeah. boundaries, but nines that they're always dissolving boundaries. And if they're with a partner who's really egoic, they can end up basically getting absorbed into mm. that person's desire, yeah. thinking that those desires are their own and yeah. almost becoming like a carbon copy of that partner. So you want to be aware of that and make mm. sure you're merging into each other, not you merging into them. Mm. Oh, wow. That's great. And your spouse or partner will find you so much more attractive as you truly show them who you are. And so I'm grateful for this advice. I'm thinking of my young nine daughter, like those who are not married yet, nines, like take into account, this is going to be a beautiful journey, even just as you explore who you are, whether you're in a relationship or not. Um, Because I know we have listeners who are not yet in a relationship. So this is work you can be doing before. Like you said, you don't even need your partner for this. For sure. um, I I really want to remember that nines are body types. And so they, I think, have the capacity for a beautiful sexual bond and may not even know it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Really, really beautiful. So thank you so much. Highlight of our month of sexuality. Thank you for just doing this so soon after your conference. How can everybody continue to work with you, get in touch with you, find all your beautiful work, Sam? Dr. Oh, Sam. thank you. Oh, <laughs> shucks. Um, so I have a website, which is enneagramsexpert.com. I'm sexpert is S-E-X-P-E-R-T. Mm-hmm. And I have on there some research. Um, I'll publish a link to my dissertation, which is, oh, it's cool. complete, but it's not published yet. So it'll be published in a couple of months and people can read it if you want. I have workshops. I do, you know, data-driven workshops, but I also do transformation workshops specifically kind of on the practices I've mentioned here, but, you know, much more and deeper and, you know, transforming the self through sexuality. So you can find all my workshops there, my coaching, um, a link to message to me about coaching. I work with individuals and couples on various, all different, you know, sexuality and relationship issues. I love to work with couples, especially. 
And then you can follow me on Instagram if you have Instagram at enneagasm, E-N-N-E-A underscore G-A-S-M. Oh, this is amazing. We're so happy for you and the world that you are. Dr. Sam, now that we get to look at this <laughs> dissertation, but most of all, you just know so many are like, oh, yes, I want to work with her. So thank you for sharing that too. We are so grateful to you for this time. It is truly treasured. Oh, I'm so grateful to you for having me. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, our joy. Okay, thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging in here with us. We really enjoyed our time and could have talked all day and had other things we had to get to, but you heard how much fun we were all having. I hope you were right there with us, really getting to really just dive in and do that with comfort and safety. And so bring something from today's episode back to yourself, your spouse, your family, so that you can truly be like, oh yeah, I've got to teach my kids about this as they're teenagers and getting older. Or yes, my spouse and I need to work on this, or I'm single and this is what I want to work on. So make sure you grab your thing, take a nice deep breath to see what that thing will be. What do I need to grab on? to. And then also it might just be like grabbing your spouse, actually like, Hey, I've got some ideas for us. So I hope whatever the capacity that you have learned a lot, make sure you follow Sam so that you can get more information from her, especially as her dissertation folds out very soon. We're so happy for her. And also you check the show notes and you'll see all of the links and then make sure to keep up with us on our newsletter. If you're looking to get involved in getting to meet with us and have time with me to really pour over group coaching questions and trainings and extra podcasts. So we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as Enneagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.